Well, today we're going to talk about the renewal of the mind, and we are also going to be talking about forgiveness. And I'm going to explain uh, just how forgiveness works, and I've preached on this before many times. So it's just going to be one of the older messages that I've preached, but it's just got such a power to it and such a freedom to that. Now, just before we get into the message, I would just like to say, if you're watching this on Facebook and um, you know of people that normally watch this on YouTube or on our website, we've got a problem uh, with YouTube. I don't know if the whatever is going on, but YouTube is not picking up our signal. We stream it. It's going out. It shows that YouTube receives it, but YouTube receives nothing. So uh, we are not available uh, on YouTube live for this service. Uh, but I'm sure it will be fixed up by next week. Uh, we've had this before, and uh, you know we just hope it doesn't happen again and that this will be sorted out. So would you just please let those people know that the live message is on Facebook. And then it will be available after the service, uh, about within 10 minutes after the service, 15 minutes, because we are recording this live and will then upload it onto YouTube. Right, so we're going to get into the message um, for today. Like I said, I want to talk about the renewal of the mind and uh, forgiveness and how this works together. I want to start off by just saying to you how God brings forth life in us. Yesterday I visited somebody and showed us a video of a guy who teaches on worship. And what this man would teach is basically that uh, worship, and uh, um, what I got, what he tried to say, I just watched a two-minute clip, was basically uh, a resonance that's from us towards God, where God brings forth a vibration inside us. Now, this guy uh, loves music and all those kind of things, and he came from a more uh, scientific and physics kind of a thing and explained worship. And what he did was he took a, a guitar and put it in front of a loudspeaker, and then he would sing a tone. And he would just be standing there, and when he stops to sing the tone, you will hear how that guitar is just playing by itself that same tone. Uh, so... What happens is that the vibration that comes out of the um, speaker excites those strings and then they start to vibrate at the same frequency, each one of them, to make that perfect tone that he did when he sang, and, uh, which is just normal physics, it's common sense. But it's a nice picture of what God does with us. If God is the word from heaven, if he is the word, or Jesus, if he is the word of God, um, and that can be heard, it will bring forth that vibration. And you know, while I was showing that, you know, it was amazing and everything, and then this morning when I preached, I was thinking of that, and I saw one of those clamps that they clamp on the guitars, you know, to bring, a, I don't know how those things work, but I was just thinking, if you would clamp that thing right in the middle of all those strings, you would hear no noise out of that, because it's like a dampening effect on those strings. And I've realized that a wrong belief about who the Father is, um, uh, 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 the, the law, works righteousness, wrong understanding about why God made you, and uh, the gifts that God has freely come to give you, that you are part of His family, puts, it's like a dampening effect on you. And for God to bring forth that vibration in you, to bring forth that sound in you, is very simple. What he will do is he will remove uh, 
things like guilt and condemnation. Because inside our hearts, we have been designed to bring forth praise. We have been designed to bring forth, um, uh, uh, how can I say, a resonance and a manifestation of who God is and just the love of God in our hearts. We have been designed to just see as God loves upon us, it will shape and form us. And it doesn't mean that if God says a word, then we must start to worship Him. No. When God's word is spoken to our hearts, we naturally, easily worship Him. It just comes forth in our hearts. So, but what God would do is He would remove that dampening effect. He would remove a wrong understandings from us. That is what He will do. So, uh, when, we, when we look at Genesis, I'm going to talk about why God made us and or not why God made us, just a little bit on why God made us, and then we're going to talk about the fall of man and how this whole forgiveness thing works. Uh, just excuse me, can you maybe just sit over there? Thank you so much. Um, this is somebody's right behind the camera, and I, it's just distracting me a little bit. Uh, right, um, so sorry about that. Uh, the, what I want to talk about is just a simple message of the... God's acceptance and how God comes and how He made us and how He created us. And then we're going to talk a bit about forgiveness. And then we're going to talk just a little bit about uh, the renewal of the mind. So it is God made you, forgiveness, and the renewal of the mind. So why did God make us? We all know that God made us so that He could share His family life with us. He's come and He has made us so that we can have peace, we can have joy, we can share in His quality of life. He's made us for friendship. He's made us for um, uh, uh, sharing in eternal life. You know, God lives in the unapproachable bright light. And He wanted people to enter into that bright light. But since it was unapproachable, He came and made it accessible by creating matter, forming mankind from that matter. And then He incarnated that matter. And since in the moment He did that, then man became that place of that unapproachable bright light. And Jesus dwells in that light. And since He dwells in that light, and He became a man and represents all of us as the lost Adam, we entered that light so that we can share in that. And that light will manifest the fullness of God's life in us. And that is what we possess in the seal of the Holy Spirit. And He will manifest the fullness of that life in us. Now that is a mouthful, um, you know, and you can go and listen to this again. If you listen to this later on, just click rewind and listen to that because there's so much life in that statement. So God made us to share His life with us. And you know the wonderful thing about God when He made Adam, you know, that Adam was man. And, uh, you know, he called him. He said to him when he sinned, he says, Adam, where are you? And the beautiful thing when God made man and called him after he sinned was, he still called him by his name. It wasn't all of a sudden a different name. It was not all of a sudden something that changed. It wasn't all of a sudden a God that is now, um, you know, not caring anymore. He still remembers the original. So, here is God. He's made man. For the purpose of sharing God's quality of life with man. And then man came and he sinned. And then after he sinned, God still came in the cool of the day. And he came to walk with man. And let us just read that quickly in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Glory to God. 
Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read from verse, um, verse 8. Now, this is just after Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think what they felt here is what a person would feel if he would, um, you know, cheat on his wife or when a wife would cheat on a husband or something like that. It is like you've done something and guilt is in your heart and the other person comes uh, ignorant, basically, of what you've done. And he just comes and he just continues as if life is as always. And God comes and he just comes and he continues as always. And he comes and he wants to walk with man and talk with man. And here man is caught up in guilt. He's caught up in shame. But God comes like always. Now I know God wasn't ignorant of what happened. But God cannot change who he is. Neither can he change his view about man. Neither can he have who he is and how he deals with man based on what man has done. So he loves man like always. And he comes, and this is what verse 7, verse seven says, talks about man here. It says, The eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sew fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said, Where are you? So he called unto Adam, and he said, Adam, where are you? So he was saying, Where are you? And I see God going through the garden, and he would say, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? He was looking for his people. He was looking for the person that he loves. And he would call unto the man. He was looking for Adam. He was not looking for anything else. Because his view of man has, all, has not changed. He loves man. And then when he found Adam coming out of hiding, um, and then Adam said, you know, we were hiding. He says, why? He says, because we are afraid. Why are you afraid? Because we are naked. And then who told you that you were naked? And that telling of nakedness there was from the devil. And whenever you hear from the devil about your nakedness, it will leave you with guilt and condemnation, a wrong view about yourself, and also a wrong view about God. That is what will take place. Now imagine, here, here comes God, and he's calling Adam. He's calling him by name. He was looking for Adam. He was looking for the holy, righteous person whom he loves, whom he is kind for, unto whom he has given eternal life. And remember, he knew, God knows all things. He knew that Adam had sinned. He knew that Adam had done that thing. But he didn't come looking for anybody else. He still came with a knowledge that that man fell and he was still looking for the original man because in his mind he only sees us in that way and when he came to man and he saw that man cannot see himself the way God sees him he cannot see himself anymore he can, cannot see God as a good God because look at his actions he's ashamed of God he's walking in the knowledge of his nakedness he's walking in the knowledge of his inability he's walking in fear about God his heart has believed a lie about God when he saw when God saw that he knew that he had to fix this and he knew it wasn't up to Adam to fix it and Adam could not fix it Adam was too weak to fix it. Adam didn't have the knowledge on how to fix that. Adam was lost 
in the lie. He was lost in his guilt. He was ashamed. He was afraid. He was naked. You know what God did? What was the first thing that God did? You know, when, he, when, he saw, when they saw that? He said, well, God, man became like one of us, knowing good and evil. And this is one of the major things that God did that changed a lot of things. The first thing that God did was he acted um, in a way to preserve man from eternal misery and torture. That's what he did. What did he do? He said, it is better for man to go out of the garden lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever. Now, we know that God's promise from the beginning was eternal life. We know that God wants man to live, uh, to have eternal life. But here Adam and Eve comes and they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They fall. They are in a life of guilt. They are in a life of works righteousness. They are in a life of obligation. They are at a place where they behold the good, cannot do the good, and have knowledge on how to have their own lives destroyed. And what God said was, I don't want to grant eternal life unto a person in that state of misery. Now, I want to tell you, that is... Um, uh, uh, I, I said to my wife on my way here, you know, on a Sunday sometimes I want to just bring an encouraging message of grace. Maybe not something, I mean, obviously every time I will say something radical, um, you know, in the week and our Sunday, short messages on Facebook, we will say some very radical stuff. But when it comes to a Sunday, it's almost as if we say, listen, man, let us not challenge our mind every day, but let us just enjoy some of the simplistic things about God. But I have to say this, and I just feel I'm going to say this. Here God comes, Adam is in a fallen state. He is in a state of death. Okay? Uh, the Bible says, in the day you eat thereof, of this death you will die. And we see the first signs of death coming to Adam. And what does God say? He says, I will never let this Adam live in this state of misery. So what he's saying is, I cannot grant eternal life or eternal existence in misery. He says, I cannot do that. I will not do that. And what God said he would do with Adam is he would forgive him and he would set him free. And the context of forgiveness where we look at God, where he said to Adam, you cannot come into the tree, unto the tree of life. When we look at that is we see love, we see kindness, we see mercy, we see God saying that I will never have man eternally live in this misery. So here comes God. Let us recap. He makes a man. When this man falls, he comes in still in the same platform and the same understanding that he always came towards, God, to, towards Adam and he loved on Adam. He was good to Adam and all of a sudden Adam was gone. And God spoke to Adam and says, Adam, where are you? You know, Adam, and I think if we can just use simple language, Adam had to answer him and say to him, God, I am all caught up with works righteousness here. I'm, it's not about relationship anymore. It's all about my shortcomings. It's all about what I need to do to have a breakthrough. It's all about 
uh, my failures and my five steps to a, to a successful life. It's all about self-preservation. That's where I am. I am sitting here in guilt. I'm sitting here in a full knowledge of my inability and I've come to experiential knowledge of my inability. You know, I think Adam had knowledge, had knowledge of his inability because he was naked and unashamed. He knew that he, but now he's come to a place where he has experienced and he's eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where he has engaged that inability or the power of dust and he's trying to have life by it and he can't. And he's sitting there frustrated in all his works. Frustrated in all his work. And God said to Adam, Adam, where are you? He says, God, I am here. I am ashamed. You've warned me about this. I see my inability. I see your ability. I see how holy you are. I see how righteous you are. But I am ashamed here. I don't measure up. And God said, it is not good. That man, and I'm using my own words here, it's not good that man would live in this misery. It is not good that man would live in this absolute state of despair. And God said, I will not grant eternal life to man in that condition. I will first clean up his condition, bring innocence, bring uh, a, 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 a new mind, bring everything new, wipe the slate clean, bring the message of righteousness, bring the message of a man in the Trinity equal with God so that man can identify with that. And with w- when that comes to man's heart and that life enters into man and that message can come to man, God says, I can then grant eternal life to man. So look at the mercy of God. Look at how kind God is. Look at how good God is. You know, all life comes from God. There is no being that can have life outside of God granting him life. Since he is the Alpha and the Omega, he is the beginning of all forms of life. And in him, all things consist. That means that from him flows life for everything. And what God has done is he's given life to man and that life has got a certain time code on it. There's a certain amount of time that that life has. And then should that life want to have, want to be eternally preserved, God can do that. So here Adam comes and he decides to basically find a different life source, which is his own works and his own ability. And we see misery. And God says, listen, and it sounds funny, but um, I'm not going to allow eternal life to be plugged into this. I'm first going to sort it out. And, uh, you know, God came to Adam, and when he saw that the way Adam looks at himself, and the way Adam looks at God, and the way God looks at Adam, and the way God, what God thinks about Adam, uh, uh, about himself, is not congruent, he said, well, we need to first fix this up. We need to come and bring a picture about man to mankind that there is no difference between God and man, but there is an equality so that when man can come to God, that he can come outside of guilt, outside of condemnation, outside of works righteousness, that he can come from a platform of life, a platform of uh, equality. You know, uh, I, I said a I spoke to a friend of mine here, Jan Lamprecht, and we talked uh, about 
being in the image of God. Do you know the word image means idol? To have an, it's like a, almost a false god, if you want to call it like that. It is, it's an idol. That's what the image means. So, you know, you would have a, 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 a graven image of a certain god, and you find all these different religions, you find these images they make out of stone or whatever, and that would be a representation of the true God. And God came and He made us. And when He made us, He made us in His image. In other words, that means He made us as a representation of the God in heaven. And I also think that's why God says you shall not bring any false gods or any graven images before me because there is no image that can bear my image but you. Okay, so it's like we are a certain idol. An idol means a representation of the God that is in heaven and that is who we are. And that's what he made. And then he would give life to this being that he has created. And only a being that's full of life, that's got a mind all and emotions, that is flooded with joy, flooded with life, that is the only being that can be a representation of the true God. And what happened is man came and he got a wrong idea, you know, when he fell, when man fell. He, when, by, by looking at what, what was going on in him, since he is the image of God, he got a wrong image of God. And he got a wrong image of himself because he looked at himself in his fallen state. He looked at himself in that state of absolute despair. And from that, he came to conclusions about who God is. And when we look at ourselves in our fallen state and we come to conclusions about God, it will always be the wrong conclusion. And we can see that. That's why people come and they say, you know, we need to have do these five steps to get a breakthrough in the church, otherwise God cannot bless us. We would have things that when we find storms and hurricanes and all those kind of things, people will say, it is God that brought these things over us. It's because the image of God in the earth, which is man, that which shines forth, which was called Adam, got perverted. And when that was perverted, that was the view man started to have about God. Was the, that he looked at himself. And this is the image of God. And we see our own ability and it falls. And from a fallen, fallen state, we try and interpret God. We have a veil over our face, which is the ministration of death. So when the ministration of death comes to man and death starts to work in man and man lives by his own ability, his view about God is distorted and his view about himself is also distorted. And from there, we cannot know God. That is why God had to come and he had to recreate all of this. He had to come and he had to say, let me take a piece of dust again and let me bring forth that being as a true image of me and when there's a true image of me and I can take that image and also put it in my likeness, which is eternal life, when we see that, and th that image and likeness of God is seen in a man again, then we can see the image of God, which is in equality with God, in the form of Jesus, full life, full glorification, a man seated at the right hand of God. And we can have an image of God and we can have an image of ourselves and from that truth we find our minds being renewed. Now, this whole process is called forgiveness. 
wherein God forgives us. The word forgives means to carry a burden, to lift the distress, to take a burden away, to carry a burden, forgive, to exalt. Forgiveness also means, one of the Hebrew meanings of forgiveness is to bring exaltation, to exalt, to lift. So what did God do? He looked at Adam and he saw his warped mind, he saw the warped image that this man is not in the image of God anymore. He is not a representation of God anymore. He's not walking in innocence. He's walking, he's not walking, uh, uh, um, it is not God giving him life, having a relationship with him, wherein God is then animated or shown forth in his life. It is not like that anymore. This being has now become, became basically an idol of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In other words, he became a, a he, he started to show forth something in the earth that was not God. But death, and that is what he started to show forth. And God said, you are not made for that, that's not my plan with you, and I've come to bring forth true life in you. And that is what he came to do. And when God came to bring that forth, when God came to shine that forth, the only way he could do it was by incarnating this darkness and bringing life to it. Isn't that beautiful? So God comes, he deals with man, after man fell, he came as always, walking in the Garden of Eden, and he saw that man's mind is corrupted. He saw that man's heart, man's belief is corrupted. He saw the platform from where man reasons is corrupted. It is still his man. It is still the one he loves, but he sees that this man uh, needs to be restored. And that is the word forgiveness. I need to take this away from him. I need to divorce him from this death wherein he is. That I need to do. And the way that forgiveness takes place, and I've preached it many times before, is not from a platform of punishment, where God says, I need to punish Adam. The last thing that Adam needed was punishment from God. Adam was a very confused, very hurt, dying man, which was not walking in what he was designed to walk in, was, which was experiencing emotions which he never experienced in his, li in his life. He felt something he never felt before. He was afraid, naked, he felt alone, he felt deserted, he was hiding himself, he was not coming forth, he was living. I, 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 I look at somebody, when I think of that, I think of a child alone and fright, uh, frightened. Also, what I think of is, um, you know, when it's like this guy fox or whatever it is, and they shoot all these fireworks, and these dogs start to run. You know, my friend's dog... Uh, three houses from here, the dog has, uh, has passed away in, um, in the meantime. Uh, but when the dog was still young, uh, they had fireworks. And my friend wasn't at home. And people came and they shot the stuff in town, whatever, no, don't care about the laws or anything like that. And this dog jumped the fence and started to run. And that dog ran until his feet was, feet was bleeding. And it ran past the Gulf Estate, ran just in, in, into the Gulf Estate there, and, and it was just bleeding and was so scared. That is the idea I get about Adam when he partook of this tree and he was there. The last thing a dog that ran away like that needs is the owner to take out a whip 
and starting to whip that dog to get back home. That dog is suffering. That dog needs to be lifted up. That dog needs to be exalted. That dog needs to be delivered from his fear. He needs comfort. And what that, the last thing that dog needs is to continue in that fear and to continue to run in that state forever. That's the last thing. That kind, of, that kind of a misery is what I see on Adam. And when God saw Adam in that state, he said, I need to forgive Adam. I need to set him free. I need to take away that which is in his heart. I need to take away his guilt. I need to take away this massive burden that is on him, wherein he sees what it takes to be uh, like God, and what it takes to be to be in the image and the likeness of God, wherein all of a sudden he discovers what it is to be like God. All the good you'll have to do. He realizes it is impossible. I have to remove this mountain of a load of, uh, 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 how can I say, um, not just discomfort, but disappointment that is upon him. I need to give him a new vision again. I need to talk to him. I need to encourage him. And that is the word forgive. The word forgive means to divorce, separate, or end a contract. And he came to end that. And the way that that was in the incarnation, in the death, and in the resurrection. And when that takes place, whosoever can see that truth and believe upon that truth you will find that his heart opens up to the reality of what took place there and the spirit that raised Christ from the dead also start to quicken our thoughts and our emotions and our feelings and all those kind of things. And so we are forgiven. Now, when we read Colossians 1 verse 9, let's go to Colossians. Colossians 1 verse 9. It says, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with all knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. So what he's saying here is, he's praying that they may be filled with all knowledge and all wisdom in the will of God. Now when we start to realize that the will of God is that we will have eternal life, what Paul is saying here is, I want you to be filled with all wisdom and all knowledge in that. That means that part of the forgiveness process is when God comes and renews our minds. That's part of the deliverance process. It is not something we must take over. It's not something we are reliable for. What God has come to do is, He has come to divorce us of every wrong thing we believed about ourselves and believed about God. Now, if we come to the conclusion that God conquered sin, conquered death, put a man at the right hand of the Father, and that man is a free will agent and that he can have a choice, even if we don't want to argue, I don't want to argue about free will and those kind of things, but I want to just say this, we have a choice. If we are a choice-orientated being, for we are in the likeness of God, um, and God comes and He restores this image and likeness in Jesus, so that He can restore our belief, restore our understanding, which is called forgiveness by His death and resurrection. When He's come to do that, I want to tell you, it is not enough to just know 
by mere, I'm not talking about experiential knowledge, I'm just talking about knowing, knowing scriptures, that Jesus died for us and that he took away our sins. No. Paul says that I want you to excel in all knowledge and all wisdom in the will of God. And what he is actually saying there is, is he wants us to look at what Christ has done and come to a bottom line conclusion about who we are and how things work in every area of our life. So here we see people in Colossians, Colossians 1, if you read the whole of the chapter 1, you will see these are fruit-bearing people. These are people that are really understanding a lot of the gospel. The grace of God is bearing fruit in them, not even the law, just grace. Grace is bearing fruit in them. And then he comes and he says, listen, I'm already seeing fruit in you, but I want you not to get stuck there. I want you to know that this gospel, this will of God can can expand into so many areas of your life where it becomes your logic and where it becomes the platform from where you reason and think and arrange your life. is where you have a knowledge and you know how to apply that in every area of your life. And he says that I want you to come there and get to that place, not by them trying to work it up, but this was his prayer. And I see that prayer is actually for complete deliverance, complete setting free of things. And this I say so that you can know that we as people um, that know grace, the Apostle Paul comes and he says, and he prays in Ephesians, let, let me use that in Ephesians, and he prays that you, we will understand the depths, how high, how wide, how deep, and how long this love is. And this, he prays to people, he prays to God, for people that already understand. So what I want to say to you is, forgiveness is not defined in, well, I've said I'm sorry and now I'm forgiven for God is not angry and He's not looking at things anymore. No. God, you know, if we think God was angry with us, um, we've got a very shallow think of God. I think God was very concerned about us and he was angry, if you want to call it like an anger, or very passionate, we can, we can even call it an anger, when um, with the system that brought that, and whatever being introduced that system to us. And he will destroy that. And he will bring an end to that system, so that we can be saved. For he knows, in whosoever that system lives, it will bring destruction. So he comes and he wants to save man. Now, if we say, and please hear me out, if we say that God is not angry with us anymore, I want to ask you this. When would God be angry with you? I was born in 1972. Why would God ever have been angry with me? I mean, Jesus died 2,000 years ago. So everybody, if we have a penalty substitution system where we say, God, Adam sinned, and God was upset with Adam, and Jesus came to deliver God, you know, from his anger, basically where he would say, well, I'll take the punishment they deserve for the moment Adam partook of the tree of death, God would just want to really kill them before they die of that tree. You know, it's like, no, they're already going to die. They partook of the greatest poison. Do you know the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or a works righteousness system or finding our identity in your works was so powerful that it brought Satan to the point where he was now dying and he fell 
The way I see it is, and I mean they're very different views, but this is where I'm at, is you find a cherub, a messenger of light, a light bearer that covers, and he believes in this tree, he believes in finding his identity in his own works, and what, is that, what happens to that mighty cherub? He falls, and death starts to work in him. <laughs> he partook of the, he partook, Satan partook of a tree that will bring his destruction. That is it. And now, what he wants is, he wants as many people as possible, he wants the likeness of God, the image of God in the earth, to be utterly destroyed. And so kill man. He was a murderer of man from the point, from the beginning when man was made. And he brought, he just wants to bring this destruction through the very thing and not by him killing us. He himself cannot kill us. The thing that kills us is he wants to introduce us to the thing that killed him. And when God sees that in man, he's not to, he's, he's not about to kill man. He doesn't want to destroy man. That thing is killing man, and he comes with compassion. He comes with love, and he says, listen, I am reversing this thing. I'm ending this thing, and I'm delivering you from the bondage that this tree has on you, that you can have a choice again, and so live, by just believing the truth. And that is what he's come to do. So, when we look at God, and we look at the love that he has for man, There is such a compassion in the heart of God for you. There's such a compassion in the heart of God for mankind that he cannot come and kill us. God is not the murderer. He's not the killer. It is is the tree. And it came, it was brought to man. Sin was brought to man through this system by the devil. And then sin entered through Adam into this world when Adam believed. That is how it works. And God knows that we partook of the poison. And he says, I can see man suffering. I can see that poison bringing, getting him to convulse, vomit, and all those kind of things. And I'm not going to keep him in that state. I'm not granting him into eternal life in that state because I cannot see him being tortured by the system forever. I will end the contract he has with that system and I will heal their flesh, I will heal their sickness, introduce them to life, and I'll bring life to them again. And when he brings this, I want to tell you, as we believed upon this, and we say, thank you Jesus that you died for me, I want to tell you there is a wealth of wisdom, there's a wealth of knowledge, so many things we can know about God in the light of this truth, not outside of this truth, in the light of this truth, there's so much more to discover. There's so much... uh, that we can know. And, you know, when I look at my interactions with people, I can see sometimes when we say something that is outside of our traditional knowledge of Scripture, yet inside of the salvation plan, people get scared. But why would Paul come and pray for people and say to them, I want to, You are already believing the grace of God, but I want to show you. I want to show you more of the grace and a greater thing about this grace. Why does Paul people that has already understood grace for a certain period of time and say to them, I want to teach you more, but you cannot understand this because you became dull of hearing again. It's because there there is a thing where we take this logic 
of the cross and it's applied to everything in our lives. And we know, we expand in all wisdom and all knowledge, meaning we see the wisdom of God in Christ applied to every area of our life as the Holy Spirit teaches us. And in that form, we find fruit coming to our lives um, by the Holy Spirit. So this is what I want to say to you. The renewal of the mind, when we talk about the renewal of the mind, it is part of the forgiveness thing. Because forgiveness means I am ending what you believe, Adam. I see you need to be forgiven of what you believe about me. I see you need to be forgiven from death. I see you, uh, the word forgive, a very accurate way there, I would see be redeemed or uh, delivered, divorced. You need to be divorced about what you believe about yourself, Adam. You need to be divorced about what you believe about me. But in order for you to be divorced about that, you have to have a change in logic. So let me change your logic, that your logic is, and where you can see the true image of God in Christ, who is the perfect, Jesus the Afrikaans says, he perfecter of building, is the perfect image, is the express image of God. In other words, if you want to see an earthly, perfect representation of what the Father is like, it is Jesus in His resurrected state when He walked on the earth, when, and He shall walk on this earth again. So that is the perfect image of God at the right hand of the Father, a man. That's the perfect image. And when we can see that image, when, the, that, when our logic can change, and our logic is not from the foundation of works anymore, but we have forgiven, been forgiven from the law, and we can see this truth now, when we, when we have a different logic, then we can come to different conclusions in this life. We can come to different conclusions about family, we can c come to different conclusions about business, different conclusions about so many things. We can come to different conclusions about what the book of Revelation actually meant. You know, if you still have the veil of the law on you, how will we see what some of these Old Testament things mean? And now what happens is, we have looked at the Old Testament from the perspective of the law, we've looked at the Old Testament from the perspective of works, or we weren't seeing so clearly, we got into grace and we saw certain things, but we also had some law understanding about things. And as God now comes and brings new, it's as if our mind just jumps back to the old default system, the old default setting of, no, 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 that scripture means that, that, and that. You know, so... Uh, I want to say to you, many things will change about, I mean, it's not just about the wisdom where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. It is what that concludes in everyday life, what makes us experience the truth about God. We need to understand that we cannot be at a place where we only look at God from the perspective of works righteousness. We need to say to God, even as grace believers, we need to say to God, God, I want to see a man in the Godhead and thank you that I will not just have that wisdom, but I will come to the fullness of that wisdom and the fullness of that understanding, the fullness. I, I want to come to an understanding about this life and now based on this wisdom. That is what God has come to do. And that is part of the forgiveness plan. Now, in order for you to be free, you, in order for you to be forgiven, it is not within your power to forgive yourself or deliver yourself. The only one that can forgive you is God. 
So, what I want you to do is say to yourself, and speak in your heart to God, and say, God, I want to have full knowledge, and I want to have all wisdom and all understanding, as what it says in Colossians. Let me read Colossians here again. Colossians 1.9. For this course, for this course also, we pray since the day we heard of it, and we do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So they were filled with knowledge of his will, but listen to what Paul says here. He says, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So he says, I want you to have the very wisdom of God in spiritual understanding. Now they had fleshly understanding of the Old Testament. They had fleshly understanding, law-based understanding, where it related to Judaism and the Jews and Gentiles and all those kind of things. But he wants spiritual understanding, all spiritual understanding, and how that ends in with a physical conclusion. Okay, because... If we look at Jesus, for instance, Jesus came and he interpreted the scriptures in a spiritual way. When he looked at the scapegoat, he says that is spiritual, and because it's spiritual, it's got a different meaning than the physical meaning there. The conclusion is still inside the physical, but the physical is Jesus. That's what he means. And the end is a resurrected life, which would be from a physical grave. So there is an application in this world, which is not just spooky out there, new age stuff. There's an application in this world. But he says, I want you to have all wisdom in spiritual understanding. One of the meanings would be if you go to, um, for instance, if you go to uh, Isaiah 14, you read about Lucifer, and you look about, and you look at that from a spiritual understanding. What are you going to see in the spiritual understanding? You're going to see Satan and his logic and how he fell and how God has promised to bring destruction to him. You know, like the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 where he says, and I will destroy or he destroys the devil. So we look at that and we see the spiritual understanding and we see how he destroys guilt, how he destroys accusation and how he destroys the wisdom of the devil, how he destroys... Um, that whole system and that whole kingdom and how he makes an end to death and he, how he brings life and immortality to man. So I want to pray to you. And you know, so many times we can have questions and people can have questions, but I cannot go and take every scripture and explain every scripture in the Old Testament or New Testament to you from a, from a spiritual understanding. I want to say to you that understanding the scriptures, understanding God, to having a spiritual relationship with God where you understand things within the logic of the gospel is part of the salvation plan. You don't have to look to a man to do all of that for you. Paul says here, he prays to God that they may have that meaning. It's something between you and God. And I want to say to you, God took it upon him and he took that responsibility upon him to explain these things to you. The only thing you need to do is to say, let it be done unto me. That is what I want to end off with. And so beautiful, I've mentioned it many times. You know, when you look at Mary, Mary comes and the angel appeared to her and said to her, you will be with child and the Savior will come through you to this earth, the Messiah. And the first thing she did was, um, her default setting was, 
how can I bring this forth? In other words, God says, this is what I will do. She says, how must I bring this forth? Immediate law thinking. And the beautiful thing about Mary is she realized her inability. She says, I don't even have a man. How can I become pregnant out of thin air? There must be something wrong with this prophecy. And then the angel comes and he explains to her, no, no, no. The child will be of the Holy Spirit, meaning the spirit that hovered over the earth, the power that can bring forth life, you know, hovered over the earth when it was without form and void, that spirit can, will bring it forth in you. And you know what she then said? She said, well, I cannot do it by myself. I don't have the ability. This is a promise of God. And she said, let it be done unto me as you have said. And it happened. So I want to say to you, uh, in conclusion, let us say, Lord, I see what you've done and I see your salvation plan. That salvation plan, that forgiveness, that deliverance includes completely renewing my mind where I can believe about myself what I need to believe about myself and about God what I need to believe about God. And I come to you and I say to you, God, thank you that you come and you bring forth that life in me and let it be done unto me as you have said. And we will find that in this deliverance and, and, and the beautiful thing that I want to bring to you is remember where Adam sat the moment he got confused the moment he had a different logic God said I want to save Adam from that belief and the effect of it so that salvation could only take place through the shedding of blood and forgiveness forgiveness is not defined in anger it's not anger management. Jesus is not God's anger management program. Jesus is the deliverer. He is the savior. The job of a savior is not to go to somebody out in the ocean that's drowning and starting to give him five lessons in swimming. It is the job of the savior is to get him on the boat because the dude cannot swim. He is at his end. And the worst thing would be if somebody is in the ocean there and he's busy drowning to go there with a whip and beat upon him and tell him how he needs to swim and how he needs to be sorrowful and because he disobeyed the laws and he came and he didn't, didn't swim where they were told and now he's out there because of his own disobedience and he's dying. That'd be the worst thing because he's being tortured there. He is in the clutches of death and that is what God saw in man when man was dying, when Adam was dying and he's come to bring us life. So I want to say to you, the salvation plan of Jesus Christ includes, it includes the renewal of the mind. So say to the Lord, let it be done unto me. And don't come to a place where we say, Lord, I, I'm not willing to see the basic logic of a man that represents, a man that is a free will agent, that is in your image and your likeness, which can have a mind, a will, emotions, feelings, and those kind of things, um, you know, that, a, a man like that, with a, pr presented with a loving God that can believe in this God and have this God formed and shaped in him inside this basic salvation plan to say, I want to understand everything from that perspective. Say to God, I want to understand everything from that perspective. Every scripture I want to understand from that perspective. And when you start to find things and Man, I want to tell you, just for those of you that like to study scripture or those of you that are maybe introduced with new concepts or new things, which is still inside the salvation plan, perfectly in the middle of the salvation plan, which it seems as if scripture contradicts that. 
<clears throat> like for instance, Jesus came with a perfect salvation plan and he said, uh, this woman shouldn't be stoned, basically. He basically says, you that are without sin, stone her. And then he says, I don't condemn you. But the scripture said that she has to be condemned. And here comes Jesus. And he, inside the salvation plan, something happens which scripture doesn't talk about. Like, for instance, when Jesus in, misquoted a, a passage. You know, they came to Jesus, uh, Satan came to Jesus, tempted him, and then said to him, you know that, um, worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. And Jesus said, no, no, it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve, quoting from Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. And Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 doesn't say you shall worship the Lord your God, it says you shall fear the Lord your God. And Jesus changed that word into worship. Now that is like, uh, what is this? How can this be? Badly, that is not very good understanding of Scripture, and that is very unsafe. I want to tell you, the safest place to interpret Scripture, the safest place, place to look at Bible or anything, is Jesus. Jesus is the manifested Word. He's the message of our forgiveness. He's the message of our power. He's the message of our free, freedom of choice and free will. He's the message of faith. He's the message of our union with the Father. And He is the foundation from where we look at all things. What if I was illiterate? I couldn't read or write. Does that take away my right to preach the gospel and the life of the gospel if I only had the simple message of the death and the incarnation or, or the incarnation, death and resurrection and then came to the conclusion of what that means from a foundation of a free will agent that can believe in this and so have life by the doing of the Holy Spirit? That is all you need to, need, need to know. And then God, from that perspective, will apply that in every area of your life. Glory to God. I would like to pray for all of you that are out there that needs prayer. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. Maybe you need wisdom. The Bible says when you go through a difficult time, ask God for wisdom and He will give liberally. And He will, He abradeth not. Abradeth means He doesn't look at the past. He will not recall the past. Meaning, He's not going to recall the old law system and bring it back into practice in order for you to get out of your problem. He will give you wisdom. Wisdom is, the Bible says, and Jesus Christ became the wisdom of God unto us. What He's going to do is, He's going to show to you how the finished work of Jesus, your union with God, uh, God the Father in Christ can be applied to your situation and you're going to find resurrection power in that area of your life as the Lord shares, shares that wisdom with you. So let us pray. Father, I want to pray for people that are going through a very difficult time. I'm thinking of people whose, um, whose loved ones are uh, at such, you know, that are at the brink of death, going through difficult times. And where they've prayed 20 times and nothing has happened, they don't know what to do, and they feel they need wisdom. People that have done everything to have a financial breakthrough, nothing seems to work. People that have, that have come and, and they feel oppressed, they feel they are scared of their family, they feel that they are scared of friends that will find out that they know this gospel of grace and they actually believe that. I think of people that are in churches, church leaders, Lord, that love the grace message, but they are in part of great church organizations, and they're going to lose their jobs if they believe this, and they don't know what to do. I thank you, Father, that you come, and I pray that you give them all understanding and all spiritual wisdom in this. And as we agree upon this, I thank you, Father, that the Holy Spirit comes and brings forth absolute life in each one of them. And they will, they will ask, as we pray this, they will go and say, and they will say, I rest 
in you, Lord. Show me how the finished work of Jesus can be applied to this area of my life. And I rest, and that you will give me an understanding. And I thank you, Lord, that you will bring it forth. This good news shall be applied, manifested in their life by the power of the Holy Spirit. As they say, be it done unto me. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you so much for uh, watching this. And uh, again, you know, if you didn't watch this live on YouTube, we will see that that gets sorted out. Pray for us. You know, if it's YouTube, they're a massive company, you know, and you don't always even know how to approach these guys, you know, who to speak to or whatever. We want this sorted out. Thank you. You pray for us and that uh, we just know that the wisdom of the Lord, even a practical, practical thing like that, which would be, you know, rest, call, don't be anxious. God will bring it forth. You know, that, that we will see in that these things being sorted out. So thank you for watching. Thank you for sharing this message with people. They can experience the true freedom of God in Jesus' name. Amen.